Welcome to this week's podcast by Celebration Church Rarotonga. We believe this message will empower and equip you to live a life of breakthrough. Thanks for joining us. I'm going to be talking about restoring wounded relationships this morning. And uh, I believe that that will be good for us. God puts a high value on relationships. And He does. He puts a tremendous value on people. And uh, uh, you, we're going to discover after we die that life was all about God and it was also about our responses to humanity. Those two things are, very gonna, are going to be very critical for us. But I want to talk about how to restore a, um, a broken relationship. Now, I said last week, often I speak in advance. I said God gives us a prophetic message, a message that actually does us well if we listen to it, take our notes. Three months later, we're, we're facing what Jonathan or what was said previously. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? So it's not always, hey, we've got an issue. Let's address it this morning. It's not so much like that. God does speak prophetically. He gives us a message. And if we learn the message, then we can apply it later on. You with me? Okay, so I'll start off by reading that scripture. Okay, so uh, all things are of God, 2 Corinthians 5.19 who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. A lot of people will say, I want a ministry. You have a ministry. And uh, discovering your ministry, yes, what God has called you to do. But each person who's born of the Spirit of God and born into the kingdom of God has a ministry and you have a ministry of reconciliation. It's a funny word, but you know what it means? It's just reconciling. And, and being a pathway or a gateway where others can get to God. Uh, the other way of putting it is, here's God, here's the person, and you're drawing them, you're reconciling them to the Lord. Very important ministry, whether you're a prophet, or whether God is going to raise you up as a firefold or a worship leader, or you, you host team, you host the door. Whether you're running a business, if you're a Christian and in the kingdom, obviously, you have a ministry. It's very, very important that you fulfill that ministry, that you are reconciling people to God all the time. In other words, you're reconciling people to God in the principles of the Word of God, but also secular people, people that don't know Jesus. You're helping to be a bridge for salvation for those guys. Okay, so then we have this. The greatest gift is, how many of you know what the greatest gift is in the Word of God? Anybody know? Can I hear? Okay, what is the greatest gift? Okay, obviously, someone, I think someone said Jesus, didn't they? And uh, Jesus is the, uh, the greatest gift in terms of yes. But what does he say through Paul? What is the greatest gift? The greatest gift is love. Amazing. It sits right there in Scripture. The greatest gift is love. Now, he's talking to saved people. He's talking to, as we're saved. So, so salvation is true in terms of what, a, what, a, what an awesome gift. But we're talking to believers here uh, that love is the greatest gift. So you have miracles. You have words of knowledge. You have discernment. You have tongues and interpretation. You have the gift of faith, the gift of healings, prophecy. Uh, but he's saying here that ultimately the, the powerful gift is the gift of compassion and the gift of love. Um, and then we've got here, a relationship is like a garden. So all our relationships really are like a garden that need to be nurtured, that need to be looked after, that need to be um, uh, wed. It's like a garden that needs to be wedded. Uh, or wed or wedded? Weeded? Oh, man. Wedded, weeded, woded, wanted. 
and uh, but they need to be weeded. So here's some keys for us. Um, okay, so the healing wounded relationships is, you ready for this? It's a virtue. It is of the highest Christian priority to reconcile relationships, to be at one. The Bible talks about oneness. Paul talked about oneness extensively. Uh, Jesus talked about one heart, one spirit, one mind. Be of that. Paul talked about the same. Very important that we are one. And uh, in a world where there's so much chaos and so much uh, um, division today, marriages have been bashed around and individuals have been bashed around of that, but communities have been split. And uh, I think it's uh, Matthew 24 talks about kingdom will rise against kingdom and nation against nation. The word kingdom, actually, we get our word or ethnos, we get our word ethnicity from. So really it's saying before Christ returns, moving into the beginning of sorrows, before the tribulation period, there's going to be a time where cultures will actually rise up against cultures or nationalities, ethnic groups against ethnic groups. We are seeing, I believe, the beginning of that now. And it's, it's sad to see people pitted against people. Um, whereas the Bible says, blessed, is the pe- blessed are the peacemakers. Um, it's difficult to reconcile or recognize when a, the spirit of the soul of the relationship's wounded. It's not always easy when a relationship is wounded. So put it this way, uh, let's use marriage as an example. God wants a marriage, He wants oneness in the marriage. We should fight for oneness. Uh, what oneness does, oneness builds trust. Trust is a foundation for marriage. We've talked about things like this. The seed of secrecy is the seed of separation. God wants you, a husband and wife, to actually, you know one another. You know, you know the life intimately. And as you do that, you can step into a sense of one heart, one soul, meshed together. Now, you might be one soul by virtue of the consummation of marriage, but no, God wants the souls to mesh in terms of transparency and oneness. But it's exactly the same in the church. God wants oneness. Now, here's the fruit of oneness. The fruit of oneness is always glory. It's always the manifest presence of God. It's God coming to earth when there's oneness. God commands a blessing in unity. How great it is when brothers will dwell in unity. If we address the infection in the early stages of a relationship, we've got a better chance of healing. I've noticed this. Sometimes we allow people out to dry. We know something's going wrong. We don't say anything. We don't bother getting in their well. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a teenager. Uh, and we allow that thing to just go out like a, it just keeps on going out. We don't bother getting into their world. And what happens before you know it, the person decides that's it. They want to they break. I've got a friend of mine that sort of left a group of us, and, uh, but I guess I could see the fruit of it maybe four or five years ago. I, I did respectfully. I, I saw like the insecurities, the arrogance and things. And, but they say about adultery, about adultery, adultery is not a decision overnight. We don't get up in the morning and decide, hmm, that'd be a good idea. Adultery today. No, no, no. It's like, when was the last time the bank robber got up in the morning and thought, yeah, I'm going to knock off ANZ this morning. What a great idea. It just came to me. No, no, no. That guy has gone to bed at night time and thought, hmm, yes, that bank with all that money. How much have they got in there? I wonder. Oh, I could do with a half a million. You know, I could do with a half a million now. And it begins to, before the seeds begin to get watered somewhat. And now it's growing into harvest time. It's, it's now growing into a little bit of a monster. 
you see? It never got nipped in the bud in the early stages. That's exactly the same with adultery. Our feet follow our fantasy, so you have this imagination, this private world that begins to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And so adultery is not done overnight. This is what they say about adultery. Adultery takes place because there's a deficiency in the marriage. It's because the souls aren't meshed together. There's not the, the longing for each other, the oneness and the togetherness. And there's been, you ready? Unresolved conflicts. We're professional couples. We are about the business of life and doing stuff. But it's a bit like our kingdom life. We can be busy doing work, but our relationship with the Lord, when we sing songs, there's, no res- there's, there's nothing happening. There's no engagement. There's no joy. There's no celebration. The words are like just their intellectual words. It's not like there's, there's nothing moving in our heart. There's nothing shifting in our heart. It's not like it's, it's, it's uh, working over the recesses of our soul. And what's happened is this, the danger is now we've come, we've moved, we've now moved, if you like, into professional Christianity. And that's a dangerous place to be. It's not a great place to be. That's when Jesus says, hey, you have a reputation of being alive, but you've actually lost your first love. First love is when you long, you can't wait. I remember I was working for a, a landscape firm in um, uh, Wellington. It would have been over Porua, that area, uh, for about six months on a contract there. And my friend Kerry is a New Zealand Maori guy and a good guy, good league player. And uh, he used to talk about Kevin. And um, I didn't know, I'd never met Kevin then, but, I, I, but Kerry was like, that was his favorite and, uh, back in those days. And, uh, but I used to talk about a girl called Natasha. And uh, one day, this is before Natasha and I were going out. And uh, I, it must have been pretty obsessive. And uh, because he says to me, you love her, don't you? In his words, he said, you love her. And I said, oh, why do you say that? And then he dropped it. He said this, because you talk about her all the time. <laughs> and I thought to myself, oh, do I? He says, yes, you do. You know, you do. But you see, isn't that love? But you see, what happens when we, uh, you know, some of you know you've got this business, this venture going on, and you, you've, got a, you've got a plan, you've got a strategy, and you get excited about it, and you can't quieten down. You, you know, nine to five doesn't exist in your world because you've got vision. So you're going to bed at nighttime. Your wife goes to bed and you say goodnight, you kiss her, you, you say your prayers, the kids are down, and then you get back up again. You're on that computer thinking, okay, here's the strategy here and I've got this account to do. We'll knock this out. Ha ha, an opportunity here. Oh, I've got an email from it. And it's just like, because we've got vision. And that's the same with our relationship with the Lord. We've got passion. We can't stop. The disciples said we can't stop telling people about what we've seen and what we've heard, the resurrection of Christ. That's how you know if someone's vibrant and there's a passion. But when we begin to close off and we begin to lose something, respectfully, I say you need to come home. You need to jump back into that relationship and restir, rekindle it up. It's exactly the same with, with marriage. The thing gets dry has been like an old bird's nest, dry. No, no, you need to rekindle the passion, man. The fires, the coals. Or just move right along. And it comes because, you ready for this? Our souls are together. There's oneness. Where there's oneness and transparency, the rest stacks on that. But where there's no transparency, there's no oneness, we're not sure what's going on with professional couples, the rest of it is just duty. We love each other, but it's still duty. Okay. 
Wounded relationships do not heal by themselves. I'll pray about it. Well, that's really interesting. You can pray about it all you like. Good on you. But the Lord says you have to take some measures, steps to reconcile. We've been commanded to reconcile. When a relationship do not heal themselves, God seldom breaks in if we remain passive and non-committed to the reconciliation. In other words, there's conflict in the marriage. So you remember I've told you about God gets invited in. We have to invite Him in. But we are the ones that need to reconcile. God's not going to stitch it up for us. There are certain things that we need to do. Very important. This is an important message. Woo. In the difficulty, in the heat of difficulty, we lose sight of key relationships, the value of key people. Where there's conflict, we forget that people have got personalities. People are important. So we actually lose sight. We'd rather win the argument. Because you can win the argument, but you lose the battle, you lose the war. You could be right, oh, I'm right. But we could be so wrong. Isn't that true? Wouldn't it be amazing to take the humble road? Uh, Paul and Barnabas. Paul argued with Barnabas. It's really interesting. They had, a, they had an argument. Paul and his righteousness and uh, Barnabas also, they had an argument. In the Scriptures, it tells us so. They had a real argument over a guy called John Mark. John Mark was a disciple, and he'd been working with uh, Paul. He'd been on the mission field with Paul, but he got distracted, got fearful, and he decided to leave him. Paul saw that as a betrayal, like a sense of abandonment. So the next time when Barnabas says, hey, okay, I'm coming with you. Paul says, great, high five, let's go. And he said, oh, um, by the way, uh, Paul, I would like to take John Mark with us. <clears throat> and he says, no way. And he said, yes, way. <laughs> let's, let's, why not? And then they had, the Bible says they had a sharp dispute so much that they split ways. Paul and Barnabas actually split over this brother. <clears throat> it's really interesting. But we lose sight. The people are valuable. People are very, very valuable. Remember, because everybody has intrinsic value. It doesn't matter about what people can offer, they still have value. A person doing an injustice to you, a person crossing your path, a person who's been mean to you, there's no cause for us to be bitter as a response. Really interesting. Because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, 7, it says, love bears all things. Do you know what compassion and love does? When we're crossed and when someone comes against us, we have that attitude, Lord, I value that relationship so much more. I lift them up to you. They are important. That group of people are really important. My parents are critically important. My children are important. Sometimes a relationship is injured a long time before it's broken. It gets injured. There's like a cloud between us. She walks that way, good, because I'm walking this way. Coming to church, sort of think, well, where are they seated? Oh, they're over there, great, because we're sitting over there. Wouldn't it be great if someone could go humble themselves and talk it through? Wouldn't that be good? Because remember this, God commands a blessing in unity. Let me say this to you, this. You might be being blessed right now, but the, if you come together in one spirit and one soul, watch what God will do miraculously on your behalf. Marriage, 
marriage is, is, is really a, such a foundation of living. That's why there's so many attacks on it and redefinition of marriage today, and that's going to get a little bit worse for us. But marriage is abs- it's what the enemy's been after for a long time to bring a separation, to bring a wedge. Because if you can bring a wedge between dad and mum, you bring an insecurity into the children, and then the next seed is rebellion. Not always, but a lot of the time it is. And it came because of an insecurity. It's a breeding ground. Okay, they've got three signs of a wounded relationship. How can you tell if somebody's actually wounded? How can you tell if somebody doesn't like you? Sure, gone quiet in the house. Okay, here's, here's the one identifiable fact. They have a closed spirit. They close off. They used to come around. Hmm. No longer come around so much. She used to look me in the eye. Doesn't look at me in the eye much anymore. They have a closed spirit. We begin to avoid each other. Eye contact, avoid. We become silent or we shut down. We distance ourselves. We're no longer receptive and no longer responding. Uh, when a believer is hurt in church life by a pastor or what somebody was said or said or what has happened on the, and they decide the, the, the destiny, if you like, or the outcome is they're going to go finally, this is normally what happens. And it's the same with the marriage, is they lose their intimacy first up. The enemy's after that. So they're no longer intimate with the brothers and sisters in the Lord. What's replaced, though, is a whole lot of reasons the music's too loud or so-and-so on the door or the children's church or just another area. We lose our intimacy. It's the same with marriage. Get hurt, we shut down. We're no longer intimate, no longer that passion, no longer together, no longer oneness, and it can be felt in the home. It's a little bit stoic, formal. Lose our intimacy, then we lose our involvement. We no longer get involved. Oh, would you like to help out? Oh, no, I'm just busy. Would you like to get involved? Oh, no, no, I don't think it's for me. We lose our involvement. First we lose our intimacy, then we lose our involvement. He's no longer helping around the house. He's no, she's no longer doing this anymore, coming home late because it's been a strained relationship. The last one there is we lose our investment. We no longer invest. No longer invest into the people. No longer invest into the the wealth or the dynamic of the church. No longer invest into the harvest. No longer invest into offerings. You'd be surprised. No longer invest. Don't take the wife out anymore. We don't go those places anymore. We're no longer investing. No longer investing time. We don't talk. And when we do, we seem to argue. We're talking about businessy kind of stuff, but we never talk about you and me anymore. Because there's nothing there. It's dry. Sad, eh? How real is this? Don't put up your hand, please. <laughs> please don't. <laughs> don't put up your hand. Up. A lady up the back. Yeah, me. <laughs> no. These are. I think church should be real issues. I think we should be sensitive. There's an element of sensitivity. I, I do think we need to have decorum in the church. We hear enough stuff out there, but I think there's a but there's a wisdom, you know. But I think we should talk about these things. These are these are very real issues. Uh, a spouse and a child. The second area is like uh, three signs of a wounded relationship. We draw back, we tighten up, and we say things. Oh, she'll get over it. 
It's my daughter. She's just my daughter. She'll be fine. No, she won't be fine. Just because you say it's going to be fine, you've got a little girl that you're saying things about her in a tone and in a manner that's unacceptable as a loving dad. And it's sarcastic. It has an edge to it. There's a ridicule component there. And she's got upset. And you're telling me, and you haven't even reconciled, you should leave me and go talk to your daughter and get on your knees. In fact, get her, get the, get the, get her, get the leather strap out, and you hop down and give you one as a, as a daughter. Right, Daddy? Bang. You know, that would be cool, eh? And a few more, Dad. And a couple more, for good measure. And ones that Mum should have given you. And your parents. I'm making up for the generations. Nah, but you know what? We, we lose, we lose, uh, we lose out. We're no longer uh, uh, close anymore. But no, she won't be okay. We've got to reconcile these things. See, when words, we'll talk about words if we get to it today, but what words do, tone, voice, sarcasm, ridicule, marginal, calling people names. People have, we all have an odd figure. You understand that? There's no perfect bodies here. Uh, their body was Adam and Eve. That came perfect. From then on, it, everything's got a deficiency of some degree. Uh, are we humble enough to say yes? Half the church, all right? The rest of you have got perfect bodies, all right? It's awesome. But anyway, um, but you know, most of us are struggling with something. Words wound. They do. Words are spoken as a young guy. There are some, uh, look, did you know there are some guys on the farm back in New Zealand that are still trying to prove that they can run the family farm? The dad died 30 years ago. They go to do stuff at the bank. I got that, Victor, that's awesome. What would dad think? We're still trying to prove father's affirmation because we never had it as a kid growing up. We didn't even have a dad. It It wasn't there for us. But words, words, words are powerful when we speak ridicule, when we begin to comment about people's bodies as parents and and say things. What it does, it shuts down the soul of a child. And I'll tell you what happens invariably. That child grows up to about 13 and 14 years of age. We haven't seen the worst of them yet. Wonder why there's so much teenage rebellion? Sometimes, not always, but sometimes it's the seed of the home. There were things, there was uh, negligence, there were things that were said, there was conflict, and the child closes the door. Sometimes our child closes the door, but that, that's just an expression or a manifestation of what's going on on the natural speaks of the spiritual. They close their lives off. When they get to about 14 years of age, their loyalty shifts from their parents to their peers. I listened to somebody the other day, and it was sad, really. Sad, he said to me, when his mother died, he had no feelings. I said, didn't you shed a tear? He said, no. And I said, but this is a mum and a son. There's a, there's a thing between a, a, a son and a mum. You know what I mean? And then he began to tell me when he was a little kid, he'd broken something accidentally. He'd broken something in the house. And the mum got so angry and upset. Maybe she was stressed. We don't understand. But the response and the reaction wasn't Christ kind. And so she said, little fella, she said, I want you, you get your suit, you get your clothes, you pack your bags and go. He was five years of age. So the little fella, he said, I remember it. I remember it. He said, I grabbed my little hat, put my hat on. And he said, grab my bag. He's telling me I'm crying. 
He should be the one that's crying. I'm crying for your story. It didn't happen to me. He grabbed the little bag and he walked. He walked down looking back. <laughs> happened to my brother. I can tell you this story since mum's in heaven. My mum said to me, she said, son, you don't understand. She said, there's so many things I regret. But when I traced my mother's life, it wasn't pretty. And what happens is, is we begin to, you know, we just produce, we get hurt. And so hurt people hurt people. And so mum, she said to him to go. And my brother, this is what my brother tells five years of age. He's at the gate. He said, I looked. And he said, I looked up. And my mother was standing at the front door. He said, I saw Jesus as a five-year-old standing uh, with, the, with, with my mum, our mum. And then she says, where are you going? And my brother says, well, I'm leaving. She says, come back here. And he said, you know what happened? He stood still and Jesus, this is a vision. This is a five-year-old boy. He, Jesus walked, walked down the path, grabbed my brother Paul's hand, walked him back into the house. Words. But sometimes people don't cry. There's nothing because of the hurts and the pain that have gone on in lives and we, we just begin to close shop. There are some people that have, I believe, like a spirit of death around them, emotional death. It's different from the spirit of death that wants you to die prematurely through suicide and car accidents, like an emotional spirit of death. And what that does, it wraps around us because we've been hurt, there's been neglect, there's been misunderstandings, there's been misrepresentations, there's been ridicule, there's been sibling rivalry. There's been comparisons. There's been favoritism in the home. And we begin to shut up shop. And we think to ourselves, we'll make inner vows and all sorts of stuff. And here's one of them when we begin to complain as parents and begin to scold our children. Do you know what? Often the children say this, I can't wait to leave home. So they just sit pretty. Wait till they're 15, sit pretty. Wait till they're 16 and bang, gone. Some left, I, I ran away from home. First time I ran away from home, I was actually five years of age. I ran away from school at five. First day at school, ran away. But I ran away at home many times with my Samoan friend. We ran and we, I said, well, wh wh where to now? You know, you run away from home and it's just, we're down the park. And we just sort of, where to now? You know, where do we go? And I said, hey, you just live across the road. I'm down the, down the road and down the alleyway. What do we do now? We had no B plan. We just were raw emotion. We're leaving home. Like a pact between my mate and mine. Good news, my mother actually came. I saw her down the park. I saw my mum and I said, oh my goodness, here she comes. I better go. And uh, Lewis said, I better go home. So he just walks across the road into his house. <laughs> Men, did your mother touch your soul? Did she? Big question to ask, did your father, have they touched our, my father touched my soul. He did. My dad got into my life, got into the emotion area of my life. And my mother did it as well, actually. Not in his latter years, she got really in there. It was amazing. Fortunately, there's a lot of healed stuff and it's been great. But we have to ask her those questions sometimes. Because sometimes we can have parents, but we feel orphaned on the inside. We feel separated off. These are real issues. This is, this is stuff that non-Christians are dealing with. This is the reason why we've got a rehab on a good night packed. We've got the pubs packed in New Zealand. 
We've got violence, we've got crime, we've got people drugged out on the streets and all sorts of stuff. This is why people jump from relationship to relationship, searching but never finding. One of the reasons this is because, remember, dad and mum were supposed to be an eternal witness of what God's like. We were supposed to have been brought up in holistic homes where there was financial provision, emotional provision, and empowerment and all of those things. Most of us weren't. Most of we can come from a good Christian background, and parents aren't perfect. The stress on parents is phenomenal. It always has been. From the word go, as soon as you get married, you're a target. You're a target before you got married. Now you're married, you're double target. And then we've got to have kids, and none of us, when was the last time that, as a parent, you got a rule book? When was the last time of the last year of high school? Oh, don't forget, uh, we're going to talk about, uh, before you go into the well, balancing checkbooks, and we're going to be talking about um, marriage. Some of you guys are going to get married. We've got a whole course going on. He would like you all to attend. No. Somebody, we get a license to get married. The foundations aren't there. And we expect to have children coming in on broken homes, and we expect our kids to be absolutely holy. It doesn't work that way. The next one is this is our, we're guarded. How are you? Good. Oh, we've got all the suspicion going on. I just want to see how you do matter of conversation. But we've got all the stuff going down. Strained communication. Unwillingness to share our feelings. How do you feel? Well, I don't, <laughs> actually. Feel the supple resistance and the subtle reaction of some people. You can have this on a leadership team. You've hurt somebody you didn't even know. And you go to float an idea or a vision or something, and you feel the resistance coming through. They're happy with the vision, but they're just sad and hurt on the inside. Something happened. Very real. In Proverbs 15, 4, it says, A wholesome tongue is like a tree of life, like a tamanu out there. But a perverse or a twisted in speech breaks a person's spirit. Twisted means it's not straight. Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let an unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to the need. Then it says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit. You will find our tongue and grieving the Holy Spirit are together in that language. It's context. Grieve not the Holy Spirit is in the context of the previous verse. Verse 30, go back to verse 29. Verse 30 is, do not grieve the Spirit. Go back, the previous uh, scripture, verse 29, Ephesians 4, I think it's 29, and that scripture specifically says, do not let an unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Because let me tell you that sometimes the way we say things, sometimes the way uh, we do things like that, it actually brings, it grieves the whole, we think it grieves us, it actually grieves the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we are reckless with our mouths. I know people like that. Reckless. We just get in there, put the boot in. Want to get the truth across. Want to say some stuff. Snide remark. Sarcastic. Because that's the way, there's stuff going on in our world. Remember? The, the, the tongue of the wise is like a healing tongue. It's got the properties of healing in there. Praise. Adoration. Encouragement empowerment. I'm thinking of some words. It'll rich you. Hang out with some people and it's just like bitter. Bitter towards this and that. It's just like, oh, I can't wait to escape. 
hung out with somebody, it's less like, wow, let's talk, I'd love to hang out. It's just something about them because their, their soul is so whole on the inside. Sitcom humor, jokes about faults sink deep. Cruel. Unfair criticism and remarks, harsh tones, wrong tones, overcorrecting people. A harsh word stirs up anger. A word like that has the power to crush our soul. People are sensitive with words. Our heart becomes to be like a fortified city. You think about it. Proverbs, the most wise guy, wrote this at the time. Proverbs 18, 19. A brother offended is harder to win than a strong, fortified city. Isn't that amazing? How about a wife offended, a wife scorned, or a child offended? There's a destructive force over our kids and over our marriage couples. Let's go to remedy. All right. Number one is Matthew 18.15. Here's the good news scripture. Matthew 18.15. We need to write this down. Because she's got a problem with me. She, can, she knows where my door is. She can come and see me. She can come and see me. How many times have you ever heard that? Well, they've got a problem with us. They know where the church is. Come on, and we're just down the road. They can just they can visit us anytime. Oh, really? Now that's how we say it. That's how we see it. Often because of our own preservation and pride and uh, self-justification. This is what Jesus says. It's really interesting. Jesus says something very different. Jesus is speaking now. Moreover, if your brother sins against you. Someone offends you. Someone takes from you. Someone crosses you. You who have been hurt. You have been betrayed. You, have been, you who have been a recipient of this. Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he hears you, you have gained your brother. Tell them. Talk to them. Hey, I got really hurt. Now, you don't say things like, and we don't say things like, oh, mate, what you said was awful and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, just like, man, I got really hurt. And, uh, man, you know, if, uh, back in the old day, I'd have thumped you just to let you know. And no, no, no. We come with a humble spirit and say, hey, look, there's something I think, or for me anyway, when I'm around you, there's just something, a little bit of a, uh, a wall, uh, a cloud between us. And I want to talk to you about it. Would you be happy for me to talk? Yeah, go ahead, mate. Well, when you said that I look so flippin' ugly... Those are the words you used. That kind of hurt me. And I want to just get that right. Because I want you and I to be friends. Are you unhappy? Have I, have I said something here to, for you to say that? Is there something I have done? You know what? You're coming in the humble road. If you come on top, uh, we've had uh, this couple over here and this couple over here. We're going to their place. We're going to sort them out tonight. Uh, you know, you guys really hurt us back over there. No, 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 it's not. As you come on your knees. And you come like this, humble, and you say, guys, we want to reconcile. When you come in the spirit of humility, it cracks something open. It cracks the hardness of their hearts. It's not long before they get upset and stuff, and then the tears come down her eyes. Then he begins to bow his head. He humbles himself, and he says, we're really sorry. We're so sorry. We're mugs. <laughs> we shouldn't have said that. And 
It was horrible, and would you, would you forgive us? And what you've done, you've actually bought for you. You've been a reconciler. Did you know the church around the world is full of splits? Churches are started because of church splits. It's unbelievable, and there's no glory in that. There's no anointing in that. There's a false seed being sown out. It comes out of a wrong base. Not the calling of God, it comes out of reaction. And watch, you'll have other splits and other splits. That's how that works. These are, these are important things. Then Matthew 5, 23 and 24. This is the, like the, the, the scripture here. Matthew 5, 23, 24. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, we could say that's like tithes and offerings. And there, remember that your brother has something against you. Well, now, he's got something against me. Leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. We don't even practice this. In other words, if you had something against me, and I was the pastor, you had something against me, and I knew that you did, before I put my offerings and my tithes into the plate, I should get out. This is humbling. Wow, this is vulnerable. This is more than just people standing up and singing songs and listening to motivational messages and going home. This is action time. Ray's, I know Ray hasn't, but you better not have, no. Ray's got something against me. Let's just say there's a thing going down, you know. It's, it's, it's on the front page of the Woman's Weekly, Jonathan and Ray, you know. And, uh, and all the women are buying it. Woo, woo. <laughs> sorry, you know. I'm sorry. And, uh, but so, so before I do my tithes and offerings, I'm, you know, worked out through the week how much that comes to Awesome, excited about that. Ooh, 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 Ray and I, we're not together in this. He's a brother. We're supposed to be of one accord. God commands a blessing and unity. We're supposed to be together. Okay, I humble myself. Before I put that offering in, oh, where's Jonathan going? <laughs> He's getting out of the seat. He comes around, sorry, right? Comes around. Brother, 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 brother. Let me reconcile with you. I'm sorry what I said the other day. And if you've upset with me, I think there might be something. Maybe did I say something? Did I do something? And Ray says, well, actually, yeah, you really, um, I got hurt because of this is what happened. And then I say, boy, I'm so sorry. We'll talk about it afterwards if you like. I'll take you out for lunch, you and your whole family. But uh, will you forgive me? And he says, yes, I will. That, you ready for this? That is sweet in the spirit. Reconciliation. Thanks, Ray. Um, that's, a, that's, a recon that's sweet in the spirit. How about wives? Oh, give your wife a bit of a nudge. Darling, I'm so sorry what I said before, but it's just like we haven't spoken this morning. Did I do something and... And, and can I reconcile? Remember, if someone's got something against you, it's not I've got something against Ray and God's convicted me, I go see Ray. No, if somebody in the church have got something against me, I'm, got to, I'm the one that's got to initiate it. You would think, huh, if you're writing the Bible, you'd think you'd write it the other way, logically. But no, this is Jesus saying, if somebody's got something against you, you Go and reconcile it with them. How different is that to the world? Let's give the Lord a hand around here. That's incredible. But what it does, it brings healing to Ray or somebody else. But it meant that I had to humble myself. I know I've got a tough personality at times. <laughs> And uh, yeah, but if he got hurt with that, oh, you know, not really my fault too much, but oh, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Bring the thing down. I'm sorry if, if I said that. Look, will you forgive me? I'm going to 
do better next time. And then it says, remember husbands, I want to throw this in. 1 Peter 3, 7. Husband, likewise dwell with them, your wife with understanding. You know, that's what girls want. They just want understanding. They don't want our counsel half the time. Guys, it'd be so good if we could, but it's not like that. They just want understanding, to be heard, to be understood. My understanding is good. So if you really want to be a good husband, you can say, listen to her, and you can say, mm, yeah, I really understand. No, it's true. I understand. You see, this is the truth. My daughter, Melody, would come home at the age of about maybe nine or ten years of age. We'd go to Middleton School, and she'd talk to me. And she'd talk to me about her friends and dynamics of school and that sort of stuff. And now I used the marriage principles because I thought they must work for a young girl. So I said, yeah, I understand. I understand that. She says, you do? Yep. <laughs> and then she'd say, well, repeat what I just said. Uh-oh. <laughs> but then it says, it's giving honor to them. Honor is esteem, respect. Boy, you look beautiful. You do the ironing for, I'll do the ironing for you. That's honor. I've done this one before, haven't I? I know I have. <laughs> you remember the car door? You open it up. For her, because you're in the courting stage. But now, you've been married 55 years, and it's always a case of get in the car, you old goat. You know what I mean? <laughs> here she is, the old bag. And it's just like, what happened? What happened? Or here he is, old hubby. <laughs> you're supposed to be in at 5 o'clock, not 10 past. Dinner is now zero temperature. Reconciliation is absolutely critical. Reconciling. If somebody has a problem with us, we go. We, we reconcile with them. If you enjoyed this message, feel free to subscribe and leave a review. We'd also love to hear from you. You can connect with us on Instagram or Facebook at Celebration Raro or visit our website celebration.otonga.com. Until next time. <laughs>